Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Man, I can still hear the groan of every Packer fan in the room. Which, Packer fans, I, I've got a word of encouragement for you as we start the day. Okay, Dave, are you going to hear this? It could be worse. You could be a Bears fan. Am I right, Parker? I'm sorry. I probably just lost half of my audience. I'm not, no way. There's not that many Bears fans in here. There can't be. Can't be. Sorry, Packers fans. Hopes were shattered. My Patriots lost last week, which now all of you have stopped listening to me when I admit that. So I own that. Uh, but here's where I want to start today. I want to ask you, have you ever had this experience before? Have you ever had this experience where you're talking with somebody in the community, maybe a neighbor, maybe like a new friend or something, and they, they start putting it together and they go, oh, do you go to that church on Green Hill Road that's got like the big cross in it? What is it? Candio? Have you had that experience yet? My favorite is I've got this friend, and we've had this conversation multiple times, but for some reason she continues to put an H in our name. So every time she, she talks about our church, she goes, yeah, like Candejo, right? And I'm like, and so I, I try not to get mad, not to get be defensive about this. I just politely remind her, I said, no, it's Candio. Like, I just got to get through it. I, we get it, right? The, the name's a bit tricky. I get that. But have you ever had this moment then where not only are you like stumped on the name, then they looked at you and they go, hey, what does that even mean? And then you tilt your head to the side. There's an awkward pause, and then it begins to dawn on you. It's like, wow, do I really go to a church that I don't even know what their name means? You guys had that experience yet? Well, if that's you, today is a huge day for you. This is a big moment because we are actually in the text where we get our name. And so if that's a mystery for you, mystery reveal moment here. Um, because there was purpose when we picked the name Candeo. Okay, that's how we say it, Candeo. But when we picked the name, we actually wanted there to be a level of intrigue to it that when somebody would hear it, they'd go, gosh, what does that mean? And begin to lean in a bit and maybe even create an opportunity for you to have a conversation with them about who we are as a church, what we're about. Because if you know anything about our church, you can even just pull up the program. If you have that in front of you, Jake highlighted it. You can see in there, one of our ministries, and this is, you know, this is a lead foot ministry for us, the Salt Company. That's our college ministry. So if you know something about us, you probably know that we are about college students. We love reaching college students. We're actually a part of a larger family of churches called the Salt Network that have come together. And we are all churches that are placed near college campuses. And our mission is to be a vibrant, multi-generational church that has a next generation focus. We wanna reach college campuses. So we're called the Salt Network and we all have a college ministry. This is a common thread called the Salt Company. So when Candeo Church was born eight years ago, we knew what the name of our college ministry was gonna be. We're like, all right, so we have the Salt Company and we just decided with our name to grab the other part, the other metaphor that Jesus uses in Matthew 5 and went with light. In fact, maybe now as you look at our name, you go, it does kind of look like candle, like that's one way you could look at it, but candeo actually is Latin. It's a Latin word to mean to grow or to shine in brilliance. 
This call of Jesus to be salt and light is in our name. It's who we desire to be. So last week, Jesus described what were to be the characteristics, the conduct, and if God's people live out with those characteristics and conduct, here's the potential consequences they'll face, and Jake walked through those three C's. Today, we're going to be looking at the influence that God's people are to have. Or if you want to look at it another way, what we see in Matthew 5 is you see King Jesus establishing his kingdom. And he's saying, essentially, wherever I am ruling and reigning, this is what my people will look like, and this is how they will impact the world around them. Today, we're looking at how we are to impact the world around us. And so I want to do something a little different. not done this before that I remember. I actually want to read the Word of God together. And so I'm going to put on the screen behind me. Would you just read this along with me as we set our attention on these verses? It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. If you're a note taker, I'll give you one word this morning. I mean, if I could summarize these words of Jesus into a word, it's just simply this word, influence. It's influence. And I want to start by addressing a common misconception that we have in our day because sadly in our day, we think about the word influence and we often think about the world being divided into like two types of people, that there are influencers and then there's the influenced, that there's two types of people. And the question is, which category are you in? So we often think about influencers like Elon Musk with his ideas or Jeff Bezos with his money or Selena Gomez with her social media platform and her music or, you know, you think of like an athlete or like Joe Rogan with his podcast. We think about the influencers. There's like those types of people and then there's everybody else. And I want to just state straight up, when you talk about the word influenced, guys, there are not two groups of people, the influencers and the influenced. Everyone is an influencer. So the question is not if you will influence the world, but how you will influence the world. This has always been true. 200 years ago, a man by the name of Elihu Barrett penned these words. I love these words. He says, No human being can come into this world without increasing or diminishing the sum total of human happiness. Not only in the present, but in every subsequent age of humanity, no one can detach himself from this connection. Everywhere he will have companions who are either better or worse for his influence. The last thing I want to have happen this morning is that you would like hear this passage and go like, I, I'm not going to be able to do anything. I can't, I, 
Because it doesn't matter if you're eight years old or 80, whether you consider yourself to be significant or not, no one passes through this world without leaving their fingerprints. When Jesus calls us to be salt and light, he is clarifying for us, for his people, our mission. Now, we're not just supposed to have influence because we're all going to have influence. We're supposed to have godly influence. That's why he prays things like this. In, Matthew, in John 17, he says, I'm not praying that you will take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. It's not a matter of if you will have influence in this world, but how you will influence the world. So the two metaphors that Jesus uses for influence, for the type of influence we should have, is he talks about us being salt and he talks about us being light. And I want to unpack those metaphors so you understand what he's talking about. I'll start first with salt. Guys, understand this, like salt has a lot of uses, okay? When we talk about salt, like one of the ways that Jesus maybe is talking about salt here is that salt for thousands of years has been used as a preservative, right? You take some meat, you put a bunch of salt around it, and it lasts a really long time. So is it possible that what Jesus is saying here is that as salt, we should be a preserving influence in a dying and decaying world. The world's headed that way. We're supposed to be a preserving influence. We're working the opposite direction. Another way you could read this is it's like, well, salt is also used to enhance flavor, right? This passage talks about taste. So maybe what we're being called to here is as the salt of the earth, we're supposed to bring the flavor of Christ wherever we go. Another way that we see salt in the Bible, if you go to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, salt was actually used to purify sacrifices. And so is what Jesus calling us to here is he said, hey, as salt, you're supposed to be a purifying influence in the world. Another time that we see salt used in the Bible, this is a wild story. It's back in Judges 9. There's this godless, self-appointed king named Abimelech who destroys a city. And what he does with that city is he actually like destroys the whole thing, breaking down every brick, and then his anger is still burning. So what he does is he takes a bunch of salt, he works it into the soil, and just makes sure that nothing will ever grow up there again. He just destroys the land completely. It will never bear fruit. Just a quick side note, my senior year of high school, we had a, a decent football season. Uh, we got to the end of the year, got to our senior banquet, and one of the disappointments was, like, for the past few years, there was always this one team that we could not beat. And so they were for us, like, that Achilles heel and the people that, like, the rivals for us. I'm just going to ask real quick, is anybody from Fredericksburg, Iowa? So it was Fredericksburg. It was the Fredericksburg Falcons. Like that, this is go, goes back a little bit of a time. Valley Tigers, Fredericksburg Falcons, huge rivalry you all know about. I'm not kidding. This is a true story. My senior year football banquet, my time playing is done, but there's kind of the underclassmen. Our coach closes the banquet out by reading Judges 9, the story of Abimelech. Then he pauses real dramatically and he says, I want to do that to Fredericksburg football. <laughs> Guys, that seems a bit excessive, doesn't it? But, all right, back to Judges 9, off the sidetrack. 
Uh, we did beat them the next year, by the way, in case you all were wondering. You all were wondering. Uh, no, but back to Judges 9, like, is then what Jesus is calling us to hear, like, like, we're supposed to spread across the earth and make it hard for sin to spring up, you know? Is that what this passage means? I mean, you could, as you can read commentaries on this, and they will unpack every one of these and go, is this what Jesus means? Is this what Jesus means? And we're not even talking about yet, like, salt carries medicinal benefits. Salt also makes you naturally thirsty. If you take some in, you'll all of a sudden start to have a thirst. Is that what we're supposed to do? There's a lot of things here. And honestly, Jesus' words, as he calls us to be salt, could be any and all of those. I think big picture, though, when Jesus calls us to be salt, just understand this. Salt causes change. In all of those examples, if you look at it, what salt did is wherever it was, however it was mixed in, it caused change. So by calling us salt, Jesus is saying that wherever we go as his people, we're supposed to bring change for Jesus. The other metaphor he uses is light. This may sound odd, but we actually, and you have to think about this a little bit, like we live in a day and age where there's almost like too much light when it comes to really understanding this whole And I don't mean like the light of Jesus, like the world needs more of that, but I mean like like, we just have so much access to light. You know, we've got street lights, we've got headlights, we've got night lights, we've got light switches, we've got light pollution. Like, we have so much light. Like, think about how much effort you have to put in to truly get out to a dark space. Like, I think it's good for us to, like, put that into our minds quick, because, like, like go back to Jesus' original audience here as he's giving this sermon and what dark and light meant to them. I think sometimes like you and I can forget like how really dark nature can be. I remember a few years ago, I had this tremendous privilege to go out to a friend of mine's, his, his property out in Wyoming. It's beautiful space. There isn't anybody for miles. I thought about it like often that if I fall down off this hike and break my leg and I scream, no one's coming to find me. I... They won't hear me. I can't even see a light in the distance from where I'm at. So one of the cool things I decided to do is I decided to take my boys out at one night because I'm like, you guys, you got to see the stars when there's no light pollution, you know? So we took the side-by-side out. We went out at like midnight. We're kind of driving up this hill. We're trying to get to the highest point on my friend's property and got to that spot. Had to do kind of a 360-degree turn with the headlights of the side-by-side because I didn't want to get eaten by a mountain lion. I mean, you guys, it was so dark. Like, I couldn't tell if there's anything else out there. So I did the 360-degree scan, looking for eyeballs, didn't see anything, and then I shut the headlights off. I have never experienced darkness like that. I could have held my hand, like, this far from my face and had no idea it was there. Put that in your mind. Because if you give God the opportunity to describe our world, I'm not asking you like how your friends would describe the world that we live in or how you would describe it. If I give God the opportunity just to come up here and go, hey, describe our world. One of the most common ways God describes our world in the scriptures is dark. And I mean dark, dark. And it's 
into this dark world that God sends Jesus. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome him. And Jesus is not only the light of the world, but when we follow him, he makes us little lights. Read John 8, 12 with me. Jesus spoke to them again, and I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When you follow Jesus, not only are you fixated on the light who is light and life, but he actually makes you a little light. That wherever you go, the light of Christ shines through you. Let me just ask you real quick. This is meant to be like a rhetorical, like, duh, question, but it's important. What's more powerful, light or darkness? I've never once flipped on a light switch and watched the darkness overshadow the light. Light's always more powerful. Light always pushes back darkness. So what Jesus is saying here when he calls us the light of the world, he's saying that wherever you go, you're supposed to be pushing back darkness. That's what it means to be the light of the world. And just as it's impossible, like in a truly dark night, it is impossible for a city on a hill to be hidden. And just as unthinkable as it is that you would actually, when it's dark, dark out and dark, dark in your house, to legit like light a lamp and then put a basket over it. Like, like one is unthinkable, the other one is impossible. He's saying, so too it should be with you and the light of Christ that's in you. If Jesus is in you, you cannot hide and it would be unthinkable to hide it. But you're supposed to be the light of the world. God's kingdom people are to be a light of the world. Guys, understand this. God's plan A to take his name to all people on earth is through people. And there is no plan B. We're supposed to be light. So now that you understand these metaphors, I want to now unpack what they mean. Because there's a difference between understanding something and going, okay, I understand this text and like really getting to like, yeah, no, like what does this mean for me? Okay, what's this mean for my life? So let's apply these things here. And I just want to walk back through these verses and highlight a few things. Notice the first word of our passage, verse 13, you. Jesus says, you are the salt And he also says it again later, you are the light. Understand this, guys, the you there is plural. I like to think that Jesus had like a southern accent from time to time, like because he's like, y'all. Y'all are the salt. Y'all are the light. What he's trying to get at here, guys, is this like like, this isn't some Rambo style mission that we've got here in front of us, right? That like we all go out with like the 15 different cool arrows in the back. Some blow things up, some cut heads off, some just wound, you know? I always want to imagine Rambo having one arrow that had like a boxing glove on it, you know, just like this one just punches, but from a distance, you know, like this isn't Rambo style Christianity that Jesus is endorsing here. Guys, one grain of salt does very little to like preserve a big hunk of meat. One little birthday candle in a dark world does very little to light up the whole thing. Yet at the same time, go on the other side of this. Isn't it amazing what just like a pinch of salt can do? Newsflash here, this may surprise some of you. I actually really enjoy baking. 
I never know what that means when I get to that spot of the recipe card and it's like, throw in a pinch of salt. That's like where I get like the measuring cups out and I'm like, I think that's like a quarter cup, right? I just throw it in. And I ruin stuff. It happens. Because like a pinch of salt is super powerful. Guys, the, the challenge here, like what he's calling us to, like this, this is something we're supposed to do together. And I would just love to ask you the question, guys, how much does it really take to change the place where you're at? Like, how much salt do you need? How much light do you need? Because I think one of the, the, the confusing things that can happen is, like, when we think about trying to, like, change our neighborhood and, like, point our neighborhood and the people of our street to Jesus, we start thinking that we need, like, a majority of Christians in our neighborhood to do that. Let me just pause for a How much would it really take? How many people would it really take for you to change your neighborhood for Jesus? 20 to 30 houses, how many people would it take? Or maybe your dorm floor, your apartment complex. Three, four maybe? Maybe on your street, just a couple couples? Guys, it doesn't have to be from Candeo Church. You can partner with other believers outside of our church and change your street. It doesn't take that much to change the entire dynamic of your neighborhood. Couple couples. It doesn't take that many people to, to completely change the culture of your workplace. It doesn't take that many people to change the culture of your classroom. John Wesley said this. He put a number on it. He said, all I need is 100. You give me a hundred men who hate nothing but sin and love God with their whole hearts, and I will shake the world for God. And if you go, that seems like just a really cool pep speech, kind of like your football coach in high school. Let me just ask you, guys, how many people were there in the room praying after Jesus had ascended to heaven and were waiting for the Spirit to show up? You remember Acts chapter 1? This thing that we call Christianity, that we're a part of, the building of God's church, all of that, started with 120. It's amazing what a pinch of salt can do when we bind and bond ourselves together. What a small group could do, what a few couples could do, what a church could do. Second thing I want to highlight in this passage is the word are. I know we're not getting through this very quickly. I understand that we're not at the second word of the passage, but he says you, plural, are. I highlight are because, guys, understand this. He's not commanding you to be salt and light. He's saying this is what you are. This is a statement of fact. This is about being and not doing something. There's a huge difference between those two things. This is not something that we're supposed to do as if to also say that we can like put it on and put it off. We can do this sometimes and not do this some other times. He's saying, this is just who you are. This is who you have been born again to be. Guys, understand this. When, when you trust in Christ and place yourself in him and say that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me, I believe that and I ask for his blood to cover over my sins and to wash me clean, to make me new. God then gives me his promised Holy Spirit that empowers me to live totally differently. And what Jesus is asking for us to do here 
is to simply let him do for you what he's promised. And all you have to, it's not do. All you have to is just be. And he'll do the work. And he'll use you. Our world loves this phrase right now, just be you. And just be you. Every time I hear that, I'm like, I hate that. That is so much garbage. I hate me. Well, at least me without Jesus. I don't want to be me without Jesus anymore. I lived enough of my life being that person and being about me, being you. I want to be the new you, the new me. You get what I'm saying? Be, not do. God does the heavy lifting here. Move a little further than just the first two words. Guys, I've only got two more of these. But if the call of this text is to influence, right? Salt and light influences. Then understand this. The anti-application of this passage is to hide and have no effect. If those two words describe your Christianity, hidden and having no effect, understand this. You are not salt and light. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just true. If salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything. It's nothing. It just gets thrown out. It's trampled. The call of this text is to influence. The anti-application is to hide and to have no effect. Does that describe your Christianity? And I'm not even going to try to be like smooth with these words, guys. I'm just going to give it to you straight. This is like how I speak with my, my boys, my daughter, just help them understand what it means to be a Christian. Guys, I'm telling you this. If you want to follow Christ, you have to get comfortable with the fact you're going to be different. Just embrace that now. You're going to have to be weird. Because if you become so diluted down, like the salt in you is just like so not salty. It's just so like everything else. Like you aren't good for anything but to just be trampled by the world. And you will be just trampled by the world. Your Christianity will have no effect, no power. It just gets trampled. Or if the light that is within you is darkness, as said in 1 John, I didn't come up with that language, but if the light within you is just darkness, it's no different than the world around you. You cannot change the world. Guys, You cannot influence the world if you live like everybody else. The only way you can influence the world is by living differently. If you're going to follow Christ, if you want to influence, if you want to be salt and light, understand this, you have to be different. And you also have to be willing to accept the fact that there's no such thing as a private faith. What we are is to be public Right? And I know about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and China and places like that, that you're like, well, aren't they like, when they have like a private faith, there's, guys, there's a difference between being careful and being secret. There's a difference between like being careful because if everybody finds out you're going to die, but you're still being bold with your friends who don't know Christ, there's a difference between that and hiding Jesus so far down in your heart that no one has any idea that he matters to you at all. 
That's what it means when you take a lamp, you light it, and then you hide it under a basket. Who does that? Christians, those who are truly following Christ, don't. You've got to be okay being different. You're going to have to be okay going public. Matthew 5.16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People are supposed to see it. I mean, if I tomorrow called your boss, called your classmates, called your neighbors, and just told them, mentioned to them in passing, like, hey, yeah, they're a part of our church. I just want to ask you, like, what are they like as an employee? What are they like as a neighbor? If they found out that you were a part of this church, would they be shocked? If that's true, just know this. Jesus has so much more for you than that. So much more. And I also want to acknowledge the fact, guys, like following Christ in the day that we live in is getting more and more difficult. Can we just have an honest conversation about this, guys? Like the winds of our culture have shifted in my lifetime, and I'm not super old, but maybe at a time that like the winds were a bit more at our backs in our culture in America, where the winds are blowing at our backs, it's a little bit easier to be a Christian. Now those winds have shifted and are starting to hit us more directly in the face. I mean, some of you can remember times, I mean, I'm talking about like my generation above, like you can remember times where if you would have gone out and shared your faith with a neighbor, likely the worst thing that would have happened to you is they would have just kindly listened to you, had a smile on the face the whole time, and then politely just at the end said they're not interested. That's the way things have been, had been. Now we're getting more and more into an age where you may go across the street, talk with your neighbor, and actually they're posture towards you may change very quickly and they will move from like a polite like I'm just hearing you out to like they are offended and hurt like we're starting to get into the spot where like our views as Christians are viewed as oppressive and hurtful it's wild I mean even among our this generation I mean Colchins you guys know this like it used to be that the Bible by some was just labeled as irrelevant now it's being labeled as immoral think about that for a second I just want to make this clear, guys. Because it's hard to hold to a biblical conviction when the world around you keeps telling you that that belief makes you unloving and hurtful. That that view on gender, sexuality, life, that position, means you don't love that person. Guys, I just want to stand with absolute conviction here and say this. Guys, it is possible for you to hold to a biblical conviction and still love that person whose life is in opposition to that. It's possible to do both. It is possible for you to share God's desires for that person's life, for something different in their life, and still love them. That is possible. Don't stop being salt and light, guys. But we're living in a day and age where the winds have shifted a bit. It's going to require a level of courage. It's easy for some to go into a place of despair and to long for the good old days or whatever. Because here's what I think. Here's the way that I view it. Because you could say in one sense, yeah, it's harder now than ever before in my lifetime to be a Christian 
I actually would go the other way on that. Guys, never before in my lifetime do I think it's been easier to be salt and light in this world. Because we live in such an age where there is so much brokenness around us. The divorce rates are at an all-time high. Employee engagement and satisfaction is at an all-time high. Depression, discouragement, apathy, anger at all-time highs. It's easier now to be a bright light in a dark world. There's so much opportunity out there as long as we continue to maintain our difference. Can I just ask you, where is it that God has placed you to be salt and light? Where is it? Like, think about your life. Where has God placed you to be salt and light? And are you seizing those opportunities? Like, like instead of joining in tomorrow with, like, the, the weekly gripe sesh about the boss, like, maybe you don't join in on that. What does it look like to be salt and light in that environment? To not pile on on the boss, but actually try to love the people that you work with that are discouraged about everything in life. Right now, they're just taking it out on the job, on the boss, on something else. Or when you go into your classrooms, everybody's just withdrawing into their cell phones. Salt company students, are you joining them? Are you just like everybody else? Headphones in, phone out. Like, even if you're, like, in line at Starbucks for more than in a minute and a half, like, you can't even stand, like, just standing there, maybe having a conversation with somebody. It's like, I'd rather just look at this. We have so many opportunities in our day and age. If I can get real practical with something here, real simple. Because I always, like, I want to, like, give you some tools. Guys, all I'm asking for is tomorrow where you go into the place where God has put you to be salt and light do three things. Give one person eye contact. Give them eye contact. Ask a genuine question like, how are you doing? And put an invitation before them to grab coffee if they want to talk more. Try that. It's wild that those three things will make you weird in our world. And I haven't even talked about yet sharing Jesus with them. I'm just talking about slowing down, seeing people, and trying to build a bridge to share Jesus with them. That's all I'm saying. In some ways, it's never been more difficult to be salt and light and in a lot of other ways it's never been easier don't miss that and the last thing I want to hit here is very important it's in the world's or it's in the words world and earth it's wild you know anything about the gospel of Matthew you know that Matthew's a Jew and that his target audience are his fellow Jews. He's trying to help them understand, don't miss it. Jesus is the long-awaited king. He's trying to connect those dots. That's why it should grab our attention that when he talks about God's people and says, you're to be salt, you're to be light, he doesn't say you're supposed to be salt to the people of Israel or light to the tribe of Judah. He says, which for the Jews would have been mind-blowing, 
You're the salt of the earth. You're a light to the world. As the kingdom of God and the light and salt of God's people doesn't respect physical boundaries. It knows nothing of geographical boundaries and borders. It doesn't stop at those. It just goes wherever it can to all peoples. I thought earlier this week about how ridiculous would it be if like Cedar Falls Utilities, CFU, took all of the streetlights in town and actually took them out, moved them, and put them all into our parking lot. I'm like, well, we'd have a pretty well-lit parking lot. And I guess in another sense, it kind of stretches the metaphor. I guess like all of the light poles wouldn't be lonely. Like they would all have like friends to hang out with and that would be kind of nice and cool. So really like well-lit parking lot, nobody's lonely, that's key. Guys, but I say all that because (laughs) just trying to make a silly point. If you want to bring light to the entire city, the lights have to spread out just a bit. If you want to reach every corner of the Cedar Valley, the lights have to spread out. And the most sad situation that I could ever imagine in response to this text is that when God would look at us, he would look at us and what he would see is like the Menard's salt palette. All stacked there all together. Always in the salt shaker, but never out into the world. No, it's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be for God's people. I don't want a well-lit parking lot, guys. I don't want to be the salt pallet at Menards. There are, at this moment, 7,922,234,619 people and counting in this world. And God desires that we would spread out and his capital C church, his people, would be salt and light to all of them. So let that expand your view and what you pray for and what you live your life for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you do this work in us. You are the one who makes us salt and light. And so the call for us is for us to simply just let shine what is truly in us. And so God, I pray for your people because it's good for us to gather and it's good for us to be together to encourage one another to stay salty, to stay well lit, to stay bright, but then it's also good for us to scatter. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you first modeled this for us, that you were sent to us, not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And then when you had poured your life out, when you had poured out your spirit, we were able to receive that call then to go and to be salt and light into all the world, imitating you, but most of all, bringing glory to your name and taking the salvation of your name to all peoples. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.